Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we're set to turn the page from CFF 2022 to CFF 2023. However, it's always good to reflect on this past season and see what lessons we can learn. We'll be talking biggest surprises, biggest lessons overall that we have learned, as well as comparing preseason ADP and postseason finishes among players. Of course, we'll also be looking to catch you up on some of the bigger coaching changes and transfer portal news. All this and more coming right after this. Looking to Jared Sturms, who makes the catch and scores. What a burst! Trey Vaughn Anderson! As advertised, touchdown, Buckeyes! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in, everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Jason Natty Podcast. I hope you guys have a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning after conference championship weekend. It is pretty much the end of the 2022 season. We got bowl games, we got the playoffs and everything. But in terms of us playing CFF, I know a lot of you guys are already DMing us, asking us questions like, what's going on for 2023 and everything. And of course, we will have all of that to cover. Plenty of time to get to all of that. But before we got too far into the offseason, I thought it was a good idea for us to all come together and kind of recap this past season. Now, what we're not going to do here, of course, is I'm not going to read you off the top 10 players at every position. We're not going to do all that. We're not going to uh, say who got most game or most fancy points per games and everything because you guys can go look that up yourself. I figured it would be great for to get three of us experts on here to really kind of dive into like what we learned, what we think we can apply to next year because that's the stuff that you guys are going to know about. Again, your mind's already on next year, but in order to do better next year, you got to think about what you're going to do better. And so with me, I have the two wonderful co-hosts I've had all season long with me, and that is Mr. Nate Marquise and Chris Moxley. Nate, you go first. How are you doing today, sir? I'm great. I'm excited to be on with both of you. Uh, you know, I get to see your face all the time, but this is uh, uh, nice to see Mox on here as well. So um, the three of us chopping it up, we don't get to do it uh, too much, but it seems like we do it more once uh, the season is, is actually not happening than when it actually is. So this will be a lot of fun. It'll be, you guys are basically basically going to get a insight into what the Slack channel for CFF <laughs> on, on Campus of Canton looks like throughout the entire season. Mox, how, what was that? So that's scary. We, we, we discuss a lot of things, so we I hope, do. hope we don't go too deep here. <laughs> Absolutely. Mox, how are you doing today, sir? No, I'm doing good. I Same thing with Nate. I never get to see Nate. We never, we never chat during the season, right? We're on like two different shows, two different yeah. times, two different days. But... Uh, but it's good. I'm excited to kind of talk about what the hell happened after we were we had you know a couple episodes over the offseason, yeah, doing our predictions, talking about what we expect for the season. But now we can actually see how wrong we were for the yeah. most part. Look, yeah, doing some pretty, reflection. Pretty easy to be. It's pretty easy to be wrong in college college football. So, but it is great when you are right. That is true. So. Yeah, again, we got we got a lot to get to today. I think we got, looking at the show sheet, we got five different segments we got to cover here today, y'all. So we're going to get pretty much right 
into it. But before we get too far, gotta go ahead and throw in the uh, gotta go ahead and throw in the spiel here real quick. Again, Nate and Mox are and myself are all part of the awesome CFF team over at Campus of Canton. It is all three of us, including Brandon Sanders as well, and our DFS crew and Ethan Sowers and Chris K. They all do a fantastic job, especially on the betting side of things. Go check out the bet on c2c podcast for all of that we got po- we got podcasts we got articles including nate and mox they do awesome articles throughout the season and the off season and we got rankings we'll have cff rankings for 2023 before you know it pretty much going to wait until i would say uh we're probably gonna wait until after the nfl draft deadline so that we know who's coming back and who isn't but I would not expect it to you to be waiting much longer after that. We got CFF ADP. All of that will be coming back this offseason. We'll have mock drafts pretty much, like I said, as soon as we know who is coming back. And we'll get started with all of that. Go check out the rest of campusofkenton.com. Everything you need for your C2C, CFF, Devi Leagues, all of it right over there. So, gentlemen, first thing we're going to do here. Again, I talked about how much, how much recapping we will be doing. But... Of what a lot of people want to hear about, especially since they haven't heard from us in two weeks, is they want to know what's going on with all these coaching changes and transfer portal news. So you got guys already entering the portal, even though I don't believe technically it opens up until next Monday. Next Monday is kind of when we expect it to really start to kick off. Now the conference championships are over, bowl games are getting to set getting set up here. So first we're gonna go and look at some of these coaching changes. Um we're not going to cover every single one. Again, a lot of them have been made. Lots of great hires, some not so great looking at you, Coastal Carolina and Tim Beck. Uh, but we decided that each of us were going to bring to the table one coaching hire that we believe is going to be impactful for CFF 2023. And I guess we'll go ahead and start here with mine. I'm going to bring up Mr. Deion Sanders, head coach of Jackson State, primetime himself, going over to Colorado. I, when they first floated this idea that Deion Sanders was going to Colorado, I thought this was Sanders looking to use Colorado as some leverage. I was thinking that he was kind of proving to people that like, hey, look, other Power 5 jobs are offering it to me. uh, Other schools shouldn't be afraid to offer. But then all of a sudden, here we are. Uh, I believe it was down between this and uh, South Florida, if I remember correctly off the top of my head. And... He's here already. We are seeing, we are we are seeing this impact of this hire. Jimmy Horn, the wide receiver out of USF, a hot name in the portal already, has already named Colorado as one of his finalists. We fully expect Deion Sanders' son, who has been quarterbacking over at Jackson State, to transfer and probably follow his father over here to Colorado State. It has been a very good offensive system there with Sanders. And what do you boys think? Do we think that? The offensive system that we've seen Sanders put up at Jackson State can translate to the Pac-12. Seems like a pretty big jump, and we've seen, again, reflecting on this past year, uh, systems like Washington State with Eric Morris and everything kind of falter a little bit, at least get a while to get going when they make that jump from FCS to Power 5. What do you guys think of this hire, and what are you looking forward to? Um, I'll be honest. I... I don't know a whole lot about his offense at Jackson State. Have you have you followed much of of what they're doing? I mean, I know his son put up some really big numbers as the quarterback there, but I don't really pay attention to FCS until they officially make the jump. And I haven't I haven't looked too deep into his into his offense. 
Yeah, I'm trying to pull up the stats as we speak right now. Sanders threw for 3,383 yards. Uh, he also rushed for about 174 yards, got five touchdowns on the ground as well. Again, it's, I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I'm not totally turned off by the idea of, of a guy making the jump from FCS to FBS um, just because maybe Washington State didn't produce at the level that the three of us uh, had maybe projected. Um, I know Tulane's offensive coordinator came from FCS and they did very well uh, this year and uh, in, in his first year as OC. So, uh, and then we've we've seen some others in the past, but I, I think this is uh, I think this is a really fun hire, man. I, I think Colorado is going to look way way different over the next twelve months than they do right now, and I think this is going to be a, a move similar to when Lincoln Riley took over at USC, where I I think he's going to totally gut the roster and we could see upwards of 20-ish to 25 players join him from the portal. Um, I think that's a legit possibility. And, and obviously he's got a lot of cachet with his name. Uh, we're seeing that already with some portal guys. There's rumors that Brandon Innes, you know, one of the elite wide receivers in the uh, recruiting class is now considering Colorado. So wow. um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're going to see a ton of change happen um, with Colorado. How, how much that's going to affect fantasy for next year is going to be uh, really interesting to see. I'll, I'll have to take a deeper dive into what their offense really looked like this year. Mox, what are your thoughts on this? It can only be up for Colorado. True. Like, and how much worse you, worse you can actually be. Um, I don't really know what to think of the offense, mostly because we haven't seen Shadur Sanders, the quarterback, Deion Sun, um, play like high quality competition. They mm -hmm. dominated the SWAC, but I mean, I don't know necessarily about that. Like, they played really well against Southern, and Southern is, um, one of the SWAC's better defenses. So, like, I had a chance to watch that game, but it just, I just have no idea if it's going to translate. But I can tell you that it will be the best Colorado offense in quite some time regardless. And True. they will have the players there to execute. Do Whether we think or not they can execute is a different question. But I, I do think there's a lot of optimism to be had. Not that there's a lot of offensive pieces already at Colorado, but if anybody is a fan of any Buffs players for some reason there, like Alex Fontenot, the running back there, do we expect them to have a role in this offense next year, or do you think this is going to be one of those things like USC where everybody's getting replaced? Yeah, I like I, Jordan Tyson. Yeah, I mean, the, the wide receiver room actually isn't bad at Colorado. They just haven't had a quarterback that's able to get them the ball very consistently. And I, I don't know if Deion Sun is the one. Does anybody know how much – is he a first-year or second-year quarterback this year, Deion Sun? Second year? I believe it's the second year. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think this is a situation where if you're holding in Colorado assets right now, outside of maybe Tyson, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that they're worth anything. I think, I think he's bringing in everybody. I, I think every, every position is going to look totally different. Uh, Fontenot included. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I was just kind of throwing that fun idea out there in case there was anybody that we might've been missing. Yeah. But turns out, it's going to be a full overhaul. Next up here, we're going to talk about Mr. Kenny Dillingham going from Oregon to Arizona State. Our prophet down there, Mr. Nate Marquise, called this a couple weeks ago when we were floating around different names of where people could go for different coaching staffs, and Nate absolutely nailed this one. But Chris, you were the one who brought this up as a potential 
shift in the CFF landscape. So Moxley, why don't you explain what you like so much about this hire for Arizona State? He's kind of the opposite of what we've had there in the last couple of years with Herm Edwards, who is like incredibly conservative defense. Um, I want to win the game the right way. I want to win it 17, 13. That's kind of his style. Dillingham, I think, will do the opposite of that. So I think you ha- you have a lot higher ceiling in a division and, well, really the conference that doesn't really have a lot of competition uh, defensively. And so I think whoever joins Dillingham there, and I think it, it, they'll probably bring in a quarterback, probably bring in a couple other transfers. They also have a live badger already there. Um, Daniel Nada entered the portal, so they'll probably bring in a running back as well. I just think that offense has a substantially higher ceiling than it had under Herm. So... I, I really like this hire. I think it's one of the better ones in the cycle. Nate, you wrote that awesome article for CFF quarterbacks transferring a couple of weeks ago. Were there any names on that article that struck you as potential fits for Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State? Yeah, I mean, he's he's now got a reputation because of what he did with Bo Nix as a you know a QB whisperer of sorts. Uh, he totally resurrected his his career. So. Um, I think DJU uh, is a possibility here. I think that uh, Jacoby Criswell is a possibility, which we'll we'll talk about here in a little bit. But um, Criswell was recruited really hard by Auburn back when Kenny Dillingham was the offensive coordinator there. So there's there's ties. Uh, clearly, Dillingham likes what he saw out of Criswell earlier. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's and there's a handful of others. Who who knows what direction? I think I think we can say with confidence that he's going to add uh, a quarterback or two out of the portal. Uh, what I think is interesting is, I mean, obviously Dillingham had a, a really nice season as as play caller for Oregon, but he's already hired Bo Baldwin as his offensive coordinator, and and Bo Baldwin's out of Cal Poly, uh, another example of of we're looking at you know a lower level guy coming back up. But Baldwin was the I believe. If the name is is correct here, he was the offensive coordinator for Cal a few years back, um, and he has – this was back when um, – right after Dykes had left. Anyways, he's more of an air raid type, which is kind of interesting, um, and it just never meshed with Cal, and, and he ended up getting let go a couple years ago, but – um, I'm curious to see what quarterback they think is a uh, is a fit uh, for for his system there. If he indeed is going to be the one calling plays and not Dillingham, I think it'd be the biggest twist ever if he just kept it with Emory Jones. Oh God, that's not happening. There's, <laughs> <laughs> there's, I think there's zero chance that 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 happens. I feel like Chris I, don't even, K- I don't even know that Emory Jones even has a job anymore, right? Didn't, yeah. Didn't, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, again, I, I, I'm, I'm like Chris K over here right now. I'm just causing problems on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Nate. Uh, you have your coaching hire that you wanted to bring up here, and that is Hugh Freeze going from Liberty to Auburn. Auburn couldn't get one Ole Miss head coach, so they just went and got the old one. Uh, Nate, what do you like about this hire, and what do you expect out of this for CFF? Yeah, I, I kind of went with the chalk here um, with, with Hugh Freeze taking the, the big job uh, so far that's been open, which is Auburn. Um, you know, I'm, it's just a situation where for CFF purposes, Hugh Freeze has been a pretty consistent, uh, especially at the quarterback position, um, producer of, of some nice fantasy uh, producers. I mean, obviously he had Malik Willis a couple of years ago, one of the, one of the best in the country. And uh, what he did with Chad Kelly during his time at Ole Miss was really impressive. 
Um, I, I again, I think that we probably see a transfer uh, go there, but although I do think Robbie Ashford has potential, um, potential. So yeah, I, I just think uh, Auburn's defense has got a ways to go. There's a lot of shootout potential here, so. I uh, I think whoever ends up being the quarterback and even some some opportunity for the running back, whether that's Hunter or whoever it is, maybe they add through the portal. I think we've got a lot of fantasy relevance that we could be looking at with this roster. Yeah, especially with what he's done with some dual threat quarterbacks over the last couple of years. We saw that with Malik Willis. And we almost saw it with Kadon Salter this year. If uh, Salter could have stayed healthy, he was really on a roll there yeah. for a couple of weeks. So I like, I like the call on Ashford. I think... Oops, excuse me. I forgot to turn off notifications. That's my bad, y'all. Um, Moxley, what do you think about this hire? Uh, it's fine. I, I'm really curious to see the quarterback is as well. Uh, and I, I, I think there's a good shot that it might for Ashford is at least going to be able to compete for the job. Uh, I think he's just what Hugh Freeze likes in a quarterback yeah. i mean we were just talking about this like this is this is a type of dude that i think you would rather have than um like a tj finley who's on the staff right mm -hmm. oh, I, yeah. I think ashford fits that that mold a lot better um but it really depends who the quarterback is because that's going to change the entirety of the offense because i mean malik wills can <clears throat> was good but how many wide receivers was he supporting for fantasy relevance true not many none yep. really like right. not cop not confidently at least so it really depends what Freeze wants to do on offense because it could be a black hole offense. I mean, it, the quarterback. it could also be like with with the wide receivers and everything. I mean, when when Willis was there, I don't know. I mean, obviously his passing numbers weren't fantastic, but at the same time, they spread it around a ton while he was there versus like this yeah. past year, we saw Demario Douglas. They started funneling it to him a whole lot more. Um, so did I think that's just part of it. A couple it. guys, though, to the draft or like eligibility wise. I don't remember. I don't remember. But I don't want to get to the, like the weeds of it. But yeah, like I just wonder if they didn't have the talent. Yeah, and also guys, but like Auburn will. Like Yarbo went down as well during the year, if I remember correctly, as well. So there was just less bodies for them to depend on. But so, so. a couple things kind of hit me with this. One, um, who's to say maybe Demario Douglas doesn't come with him? Uh, so maybe, maybe probably be the best receiver that Auburn right. would have then. Uh, but two, you what you brought up with Ash with Robbie Ashford and him being a fit for Hugh Freeze. I, I totally agree. Robbie Ashford was somebody whenever he got uh, whenever he got to Oregon, I thought he was a perfect fit um, for Joe Moorhead's system there in Oregon. I mean, he is a true dual threat. He's very athletic. Um, this this will this will be really interesting to see if Freeze wants to handpick his own guy. Or if he gets there and watches a little bit of tape, or Robbie Ashford is like, no, I can, I can definitely make this work because I, I do think it's a really, really intriguing fit. Yeah, none of those other quarterbacks on on campus there, <laughs> not, not a fit. Are, so. are, are, are you not, are you not ready for the resurgence yeah. of TJ Finley? Oh God, no, TJ Finley needs to, he needs to go to Jackson State or something. Yeah, just go have fun your last year. Alrighty. So those are a couple of the coaching hires that we like. Again, there's other big ones out there. Again, just from a pure football perspective, Matt Rule at Nebraska, obviously a very big one. Luke Fickle going to Wisconsin. I didn't even know Luke Fickle was really on the market this time around. And Wisconsin lands him out of nowhere. That's a really big hire for them. Um, South Florida just hired uh, Golish, the offensive coordinator from Tennessee. That should be a pretty fun system moving forward for CFF. Also, if Taven Jackson might want to follow him down there, that'd be kind of interesting, I would think. 
but even still, those are those are these are the three that we thought were the big the biggest news and the big best ones to talk about for CFF. Let's go talk about the transfer portal again. Tons of names we could be talking about here, but we're gonna kind of focus on three names that we're really gonna focus on as potential CFF landscape changers for next year. I've got a quarterback. Nate has brought a running back to the table, and Chris Moxley, of course, brings a tight end to the table, which I love. Uh, we're going to look at here first. I'll bring up my guy. I got to talk about Jacoby Criswell. Uh, this is a dude that has now entered the portal for UNC. There was a little bit of talk about maybe Drake May is the one who enters the portal trying to move up in competition. Uh, Criswell moves first. He is the first one in the portal. Pretty good indication that May probably stays at UNC. I would think that Criswell, if he knew that May was leaving, would probably stick around. Could also mean that Criswell is just sick and tired of playing the waiting game for May and just decided to take action to his own hands. This is a dude that I think will could start at most Power 5 schools. If everything that we had seen and everything we had heard from spring onward, from the spring game and everything, Criswell looked like the better quarterback than May during the spring game. Uh, the entire offseason, we saw that he was a guy that... Uh, we saw or he the, the competition between him and May was apparently neck and neck. This is somebody the staff has talked up massively throughout there. And then we finally saw May play. And May, outside of the last three games, really, just lit it up the entire year. And so if Criswell truly was close to that, he is going to be somebody that's going to make a lot of schools very, very happy. Somebody's going to nail a great quarterback transfer here. And I think there's a lot of good fits for him. Like Nate said earlier, Arizona State makes a whole lot of sense here. Um, trying to think off the top of my head. I, ha I had another name. Oh, well. Mox, what are your thoughts on this? I think wherever he goes, he's going to make the offense better. Um, I find it hard to believe that there are multiple better quarterbacks that will enter the portal after him. Um, and I think he's a powerful little quarterback. Uh, throughout UCLA earlier today. Um, we like projecting any mobile quarterback with a good Yeah, I know, right? Mm -hmm. So, but I, uh, I think Arizona State is interesting as well, like Nate said. Um, he's just a good player. He really is. I, I, I'm really excited to see what he does because I really do think that if an offense didn't have a good quarterback this year or was struggling in their passing game for whatever reason, he could, he could seriously elevate whatever team he goes to. So it's definitely worth watching. He's probably the biggest game breaker in the portal as of right now, I would say. Yeah. I would definitely agree. Nate, what are your thoughts on Criswell? Yeah, I'm a I'm a big Criswell fan. Um I think he does end up being one of the at least the top three or four quarterbacks in the portal. And and that's assuming there's even more to come. Um I think wherever he goes, he's going to be essentially um, promised a starting gig. This is a guy that's had to sit, sit behind Sam Howell uh, as well as Drake May. He's a guy that wants to jumpstart his career now. Uh, I thought Arkansas would be probably the perfect fit. He's a native there. Um, you know, they recruited him crazy hard, but now KJ Jefferson yeah. announced he's returning. So that's kind of off, off the table. Um, yeah, Arizona State, potentially if he wants to go west. Auburn, I think he, he too would be a great fit for Hugh Freeze. Um, I, I think in Moxley mentioned it with, with UCLA, a couple ones that I think could be really interesting, um, that are in kind of dire need of a quarterback here. Um, rumors are Spencer Sanders will not return to Oklahoma state. That could be a fun fit in a Mike Gundy system. 
Uh, Oregon State is a quarterback away from being a really, really good team. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, competing for Pac-12 championships. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go Homer here. What if Dylan Gabriel moves on to, let's say, UCLA or something like that? Um, Oklahoma might be looking for a quarterback to bridge the gap to uh, Jackson Arnold. So uh, I think he could fit in in a Jeff Levy system uh, and look really good in Crimson and Cream. That's just me personally, though. Nah, he, he can fit in almost any system, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, that, that's kind of the thing that's excited about him is so that like we, anybody could use him. Yeah, we haven't got to see much of him, and it was kind of sad that we didn't even. You know, I mean, they just you see uh, North Carolina never blew anybody out, so we never really got uh, to see much of him. But the, from the little bit we have seen and what we know from his recruiting film, his arm is stronger than Drake Mays. He's just, um, we just don't have a whole lot of other information. He's fairly mm -hmm. athletic. We, we just don't know how good of a quarterback he really is. But the, the tools are there, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Nate, we'll move on to your transfer that you've brought to the table here. You want to talk about Mr. Carson Steele running back out of Ball State entering the transfer portal. He was the RB5 on the year. So what are you thinking here, Nate? Yeah, crazy. This one came out of left field, didn't it? I mean... A top five uh, producer. I think. I think a lot of people are going to be um, fooled by his whiteness. That he's maybe not that skilled of a running back. But Eight. let's not let's not forget the fact that he was second only to Bijan in uh, in in it was either broken tackles or forced missed tackles. The dude is a legit running back. Um. So. You know, I, I think we could maybe shed that uh, that stigma a little bit for him, but uh, and he actually showed that he could catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit this year too, which was which was a nice oh, yeah. surprise. Um, I don't know if you guys have thought of any landing spots. Uh, he screams Big Ten to me. I don't know about you guys, but you know the idea of maybe him taking over for uh, Chase Brown at Illinois. That was my was, initial thought. Was kind of fun. Uh, Wisconsin, if Braylon Allen actually were to move on to USC or Michigan, could be fun. Um, he's a native from Indiana. Um, does Dion make a run at him? We kind of, you know, uh, threw out that rumor in our Slack line. So uh, any of those spots sound like uh, some pretty fun landing spots. I'm in full agreement with you. I, I think he probably lands somewhere in the Big Ten. Northwestern might be an interesting one if Evan Hall were to move on. Yeah, um, yeah. Trying to think who else might might make a run at him. Michigan uh, State's always in the market for a uh, transfer running back, it seems like. Yeah. And n none of their guys really worked out this year. But then again, the entire offense really didn't work out. So really, really underestimated how much Kenneth Walker carried that offense the year before yeah. box what do you think overall about this transfer what do you think what are you looking for here wherever he goes his value is going down i yeah. think it's i can agree he's, with this he's moved i think he's moving up in class to a power five conference um three schools that didn't actually offer him <clears throat> but were like in on him indiana which he's from indiana kentucky and purdue like yeah. All those are pretty interesting. Not really keen on the Indiana one, but I mean, Kentucky or Purdue, there's a lot. Kavashi Smoke is transferring out. At Chris Kentucky. Rodriguez is done. Chris Rodriguez, yep, going to the draft. Um, Purdue, Devin Mockaby, I was watching him yesterday. Like He's fine. He's mm -hmm. like a small Zayn Horvath. They wear the same number. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I like I, I like both those spots, to be honest. I, I do think he's going to level up, and I think he's good enough to be a quality Power 5 back. I don't know that he's anything special what about louisville 
Nah. They, they just lose a lot, though. They, they've like, lost they, a they, lot, but, like, again, like, you got... They offer him. You got but aren't they going to be in the market for a transfer running back, don't you think? Yeah, they will. They'll add some, like... Yeah. Sure. I guess. I don't know. I, that, that, that wouldn't... <laughs> again, no, no, no real landing spot's going to excite me at this point. This is a guy that should... If, if, if the CFF consultant firm was telling him... Yeah. Uh, where to go? Never, it would be never leave the Mac. Stay, stay at Ball State. But if he were to go to Louisville, I would understand. But I, I think he's just setting himself up to be overtaken by Ruben Owens by the end of the year. I think they're gonna have a hard sell with Ruben Owens coming in for any transfer options this year for Louisville. What about Nebraska? I yeah, that one kind of crossed my mind too. I think that, uh, I think that could kind of work. I think Matt Rule's gonna. I would say with Matt hit, Rule, yeah, hit some options there. Uh, on Ruben Owens, I still am not convinced he ends up in Louisville. I'm not either. either. But if he is, like yeah. it's going to be hard for Louisville to sell a transfer running back to come in because they all know, especially with the NIL deal that he's rumored to have, they're going to expect him to play early and often. So yeah. basically, it's like he's you're from, coming in knowing what you're getting. He's from Texas, right? He is. Yeah. Yes. I I wonder. Um, I just wonder if he, like, there's not as much incentive for him to not flip. As, well, like, I, from California, I, I heard, I can get paid high school for your NIL deal. I heard rumors that Ohio State was going to make a run at him. Yeah. I've, yeah. So, um, I, I would not also not be surprised if he flipped. There's been if, a lot of smoke to that fire. Yeah. If the, if there's any truth to the the idea that Cedric Baxter gives Florida State a really strong look and decommits from Texas, then I think Texas jumps in the mix for Ruben Owens. Oh, one hundred percent. But anyway, back back to our transfer guys again. Carson Steele. I think we're all in agreement here that like on a football perspective, he deserves to move up. He is a guy that at, like again he's killed it at in the MAC. Somebody's going to give him a shot for CFF. There's no way. Any of the landing spots he is at gives us top five upside like he did this year. So, yep, totally agree. Next transfer here, Mox going out of left field. They're shooting from deep and then they're shooting from outside the stadium. I love it. <laughs> uh, but you have brought us tight end Kyle Morlock, a tight end out of Shorter University, which I'm pretty sure some <laughs> people listening to this podcast think that that is where you might go to school, Mox. Um, <laughs> Mox, tell us who this man is and why, why should we be so excited about him? Okay, so I had a trouble coming up with somebody that I think was going to make a true impact. And this is a guy who, let me start from the beginning. He is from Blairsville, Georgia, which if you've never heard of Blairsville, no surprise, there's only 700 people that live there. Yep. He played high school. He was a 210-pound tight end, real lanky. Nobody was interested in him at the time. Goes to Shorter University, which also is in northern Georgia. Not a lot of people there. Division two. Bulks up. He is now 6'7", 245. When you turn on his tape, this dude should not move like someone who is 6'7", 245. He is a fantastic route runner. He has great hands. He cuts like... A guy who's three inches, 20 pounds lighter. I mean, he, he's pretty impressive getting in and out of breaks. And he's a great blocker. And this is obviously, this is Division Two, right? So it's hard to see what will translate, but the effort is there. And if they can coach up the technique a little bit, I think they could probably do that at the next level as well. Here's what's really interesting, though. I've said all this stuff about this D2 tight end. 
Here are a handful of his offers. These aren't all of them. Tennessee, Oklahoma, LSU, Florida State, Missouri, Pittsburgh. Nobody's missing him now. Yeah, he's clearly in demand at some of the highest like caliber schools in the country. And some of those that are NIL schools. So I, I do wonder if his services are in quite the demand based on what we've seen. I, I was honestly really impressed with what I was able to watch of him. And there's no, trust me, there is not that much out there on him. What I have seen, I, he looks like a guy who can play and contribute in an offense. If no, you're bringing it, him in, especially if you're like a, a NIL school and you're giving him an NIL deal, would not be surprised if he runs as like the primary receiving option or is on the field for like 80% of tight end snaps for a team, even if some of that's blocking. Really, really talented player. Yeah, he seems like a really, really talented player. And like again, I I didn't know a lot about him before you put him on the show sheet. So I did like a little bit of digging and I found pictures of him and Division Two football, this man makes everybody who's facing him look like just small humans like he is massive compared to everybody else on the field obviously that might change a little bit but again he's still 6'7 245 like this is like darnell washington size over here for the most part he is absolutely going to be a weapon that wherever he lands but where would you say out of those offers mox would you find him the most interesting um there's so many moving pieces of all of his offers so far not Pitt. I don't want him to go to Pittsburgh. I'll nope. tell you that. They screwed Gavin uh, Bartholomew. I don't want any tight end to ever go, yeah. go there again. Tennessee is pretty interesting because I think they want to use a tight end, but I don't think they have one. Mm-hmm. The Princeton fan is just not a quality tight end, but they use him. Uh, they use him in a couple different ways. He's obviously not Princeton fan uh, in terms of like what he what he does. I think Florida State might be interesting if Jordan Travis is going to stay. They don't really have like they they use um, Johnny Wilson as their big body player, and he is like not. He just isn't good. Like I'll just say it. Like he just isn't good. He's just tall. I think he yeah, I think he could take that that role. Like Johnny Wilson has no hands, um, can't separate very well, but he's tall. Kyle Morlock is actually good. And so I think that'd be a pretty interesting fit. Um LSU would too. Like there's a lot of options. I think that when you have a guy that's a mismatch like this, I think you want to feature him. So I I mean I'd be happy with a lot of places where he went. I think Nate would cry a little bit if he went to LSU because that would basically hurt a lot of the Mason Taylor hype going on over there. Uh, Nate, what do you have? You have any thoughts on Morlock? Um, not much. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Thirty minutes ago, I'd never heard of Kyle Morlock. I, I'd never heard of Shorter University. So, um, but I did. I did look up some of the offers um, and and just kind of some of his uh, his stuff while Mox uh, was was talking about him. And two that actually stood out to me were uh and and based off of what he's been offered so far i'd be surprised if he ended up here but oregon state and purdue were two other offers that he oh mentioned. love that those, those are two programs that um are are likely losing their their stud tight ends to the nfl and um have proven that they will use tight ends quite a bit so mm-hmm. i think i think both those landing spots could be really fun if he ended up there yeah i like those calls a lot the only thing i would say is again Shorter University down here, down here in the South. Is he willing to make the jump up to the Midwest or out to the West Coast? Right. We'll see. We'll see. But he he clearly has talent. The first thing oh, I yeah. look at, when, the first thing I look at whenever I go to check out a uh, check out a prospect or a recruit is okay. What's your offer list look like? You know, uh, it's one thing to have you know maybe one or two P five offers. 
but when it's you know when it's pretty lengthy and some pretty big programs with some uh some some programs that have proven to to scout very well uh like he has that's that's an impressive offer sheet yeah and that goes that goes for three stars as well like when you get down to the weeds on some of the three star recruits and everything look for the ones that again while the two guys above them might have an offer from nc state and colorado before dion gets there uh Look for the guy who somehow has offers from Georgia, LSU, Ohio State. Like, like clearly something's flying under the radar there that you want to get involved with. There's this is kind of uh, not on the same. Eh, it's tangentially related, but I want to bring it up because I think it's actually important. Keep an eye on schools who are the first to offer players to. Oh yeah, um, and like sharp schools. Yeah. <laughs> Boston College is one of them. Boston College routinely offers really, really high-end players who end up never going there. Andrew Paul is a good example. I think they were the first one on Andrew Paul. Um, I believe it's Andrew Paul. Uh, whatever. A three-star who ended up going to, right. like, way out kicking his coverage in terms of where he was. Like, Boston College routinely does that. They're a school that I like to see who's offering them first to kind of gauge what I, what I think that impact might be, even if they're a lower-end player. And there's a handful of those, and I, I'm something that I want to look into more this summer, but... That's something else. Um, Rome is pretty close to Auburn, right? And I, he has an offer there. It's pretty close to Knoxville. Yeah, like, I would be. I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed in the South. Yeah. Two hours, two and a half hours. Yeah, about about two and a half hours, I would say, from Rome, because like Rome is like Northwest Georgia, Auburn's like East, like Mid Alabama, so not terribly far from each other. Alrighty, so that catches you guys up on the transfer portal coaching news. Again, obviously so many names we could talk about here, and we'll get to as many of them as we can, especially when they land places that seem CFF relevant. We'll be sure to bring that to your guys' attention, but we got so much to talk about here today. We're just going to keep it to three names for today, and now we're going to really dive into some of this recapping of what happened this season. Alrighty. One of the best ways that we could talk about the recap in the season is to talk about what kind of caught us off guard and see if there's any way that we can apply to it moving forward. And I'll go ahead and start off with mine. Once again, each of us are bringing a different item to the table here. That And it co- we cover a pretty good uh, swath of things here. My first, I would say my biggest surprise of the season was Quinchon Judkins just completely taking over Ole Miss this year. We had Zach Evans come in through the transfer portal, and he was being taken as a top three round back in CFF drafts this year, and why not? We'd seen what Lane Kiffin could do with running backs like Devin Singletary before we um, we fully expected Ole Miss's offense to once again be clicking this year, We've and especially with Evans possibly being the best player in that offense. Why not take the shot on him? They also brought in Ulysses Bentley, which a lot of people wanted to get in on the action of because he's a pretty good receiving back. But then we there's like a city drumbeat throughout most of the offseason about Quinshawn Judkins coming in. They're very happy with this three-star running back that they were that they were bringing in. And everybody's like, okay, he's a great guy to pick up. He'll probably be there after Zach Evans leaves, and then he's a year two guy. Uh, Quinshawn Judkins said, I ain't waiting. Uh, I'm going to out-touch Zach Evans by about 100 carries this year. Now, Evans has been kind of on and off the field, whether that is because he's saving himself or there are legit medical issues, who knows. Regardless, Quinchon Judkins really looks like what Lane Kiffin had in Devin Singletary back during that time. He was the RB, I believe, 7? RB9 
on the year as a true freshman. He, just an absolutely incredible, incredible season that he has had and basically rendered both Zach Evans and Ulysses Bentley just completely moot. So I didn't see this one coming. What do you guys think of Quinshawn Judkins this year? And is there anything we can learn from this that we might apply to future freshmen that could possibly take over backfields that we didn't see coming? Go ahead, Mox. I'm going to read the Camps Can Freshman and Supplemental Guide moving forward. That's that's my takeaway. <laughs> I agree. I agree. They, uh, I mean, Matt Matt Brennan kind of led the charge. Uh, I think Colin was on this as well. But they had him, I think, RB7 and Consensus had an RB46. So that's my takeaway. But more more realistically, I I, I think that is a, a legit thing when um, you go outside of the the twenty four seven scouting resources. Who is high on these players? Do you trust their um, evaluation? Is one thing. Two is just follow the buzz and like be willing to overdraft if you think that the the buzz is legit. Like there are certain players we didn't hear anything about. Jaden Knott's a great example as well. Jaden yeah. Knott had buzz all throughout camp and played a huge role in the spring game. And there was legit talk that he was going to take over, and he did. He did. So I just make sure that you're actually listening. Is is the best advice I got for you? Yeah, I mean, I think this is another case like you like talked about. I mean the the spring game. They're sitting there interviewing the coaches throughout the spring game and in the the Grove game or whatever it is they call it. And multiple times, Lane Kiffin and some of the other staff members said, uh, we really, really like Quinshaw Judkins. We think he's going to be a big time factor for us this year. I mean, they sometimes you gotta listen to what the coaches say and believe them. It's hard to it's hard to kind of weed out what what exactly uh to believe and what not, but of in course. this case. In this case, um, Kiffin was was obviously being brutally honest um, because it did not take long before Judkins uh, took over and 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 at the end of the season, I mean, he was the best running back on that on that roster. Yeah, easily. All righty, Mox will go on to your surprise that you listed here, and you want to talk about TCU. So, Mox, what about TCU surprised you this year, and what do you think can be applied moving forward for CFF players? I don't know what can be applied moving forward. Maybe just the idea that it, identifying situations where co teams have quit on their coach, because I think they quit on Gary Patterson last year. I, I think there were a lot of people who were unhappy with the way that that was going, unhappy with the defense, unhappy with the offense, because both units took a huge step forward. Mm -hmm. And I think Sonny Dykes plays a huge role in that, but the talent didn't change. Yeah, you brought in two highly regarded freshmen that played small parts, but the talent was there. This team just wasn't clicking. Part of that is Sunny Dykes. Don't get me wrong. But part of that is identifying teams where there's an obvious rebound situation. Um, Troy was another example of this as well. Like going from Jip Lindsay to John Sumrall was a massive change for that team. So identifying quit teams is, is, is kind of my biggest takeaway there. Just make sure that you base less on last year's results and more looking forward who that who maybe is coming in and it doesn't even have to be personnel change because this wasn't even a personnel change situation like washington state for example it just was a team who was actually trying and wanted to compete for their head coach mm -hmm. so at troy was another example um who was the other one that i had when i, I wrote this down now now i don't remember but i do think there are a lot of situations like, like that around the country each year 
that we that just re- Georgia Southern was one too. Oh yeah. Like yes, it was di- obviously a different system, but like they had quit pretty much. So, are there any teams this year, Mox, that you can identify towards the end of the season that you think might fit this criteria going into next year? Uh, Georgia Tech was one. They yeah. they put on Jeff Collins pretty pretty heavily. True. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Key came in. Yeah. Um, Liberty quit down the stretch, but that's a little different. Auburn. Auburn. Auburn certainly quit. Uh, although when Cadillac Williams came in, yeah, they were. They were uh, competing a little harder, but those those scenarios are are easier to identify. Um, like you can see when a player, a team is just not playing up to its talent level, and the coach is on like that. I think West Virginia is going to be this. Is if they're not already this, they're going to be this next year. I say they'll they'll, they, they'll be it next year because they've already said Neil Brown's coming back for another year, and he will be probably the first off. It, like if you could put money on first head coach hire or first head coach fired during the season next year, I would I would put a lot of money on Neil Brown. <laughs> yeah, I the thing that I found interesting with TCU is how successful they were with one the backup quarterback that didn't even start week one, yep. uh, and and two how successful they were with um, getting basically no production from uh, their first round draft pick wide receiver for the first, I don't know, four or five weeks of the season. And then at times throughout the entire second half of the season, as he became injured, I mean, they, they basically got two or three good performances um, out of Johnston. So um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a case of a a coach that has proven to uh, have a really good system for CFF purposes, and surprisingly, he did not take a lot of transfers. Um, yeah, or at least transfers did not play as big of a role um, as a lot of other first year coaches. He worked with what he had. He apparently liked what he had, and yeah, like Mox said, uh, they'd kind of given up. At least that offense had on. Um, on Patterson, and um, I, I was surprised they were able to continue to win games throughout the year. Uh, but that that team's got a lot of uh, they they fought hard for him, and uh, they made plays when they needed to. So, um, yeah, I I think Arkansas kind of fits uh, a, a team that seemed to really falter down the stretch and give up. I don't know that they're going to make any coaching changes this off season, but it would not surprise me if. Um, say a Miami makes a run at Kendall Bryles. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, I'd to heard, the, I heard rumors of Kendall Bryles. Yeah, it would not shock me if Kendall Bryles ends up somewhere and there's a little bit of a, of a reset button that happens at Arkansas um, this offseason and we see that offense look a little bit different and maybe that team as well, that program as well, has a little bit more life next year than they had towards the end this year. Yeah, hopefully. And I, I think part of Arkansas's problem was KJ Jefferson going down and there just being a massive drop off at quarterback there. That offense just did not look right. And Malik Hornsby, very talented quarterback, don't get me wrong, but I I think he's going to produce a lot better if he moves down a level or two. Uh, Dirk, uh, sorry, Boise State's another example. When they yes. made that change, oh, when they yeah. made that change of offensive coordinator to Dirk Cutter, they were a totally different team. And they obviously there was no change in personnel because it happened mid-season. But that's a good example of a change can kind of breathe some life into your program. It I coincided agree. with the Talon Green, uh, yeah, Bachmeyer to Green situation. Correct. But that was a hundred percent coaching change. I, yeah, I hundred, I totally agree. Yep. You brought in a guy who was well respected within the program, who'd been the head coach, poor, well respected in the program. Like that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
changes in the coaching world can be a great thing for your team but nate you wanted to bring up one of your surprises this season and that was a coaching change that didn't really seem to work out at least not for this first year nate tell us about colorado state yeah so uh speaking of systems uh with a coach and a staff that uh had proven to be uh, very successful for CFF production that simply did a belly flop on us this year uh, over there at, at Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, you know, they that staff brought a lot of the pieces, you know, Clay Millen and, and a lot of the wide receivers and all that over from Nevada that it looked like it was going to be a fairly seamless transition. It's the same conference. It's not like a step up in competition. And man, did they lay an egg this year. And really, I guess what we we could say there's one fantasy relevant player on that entire roster for, for all of 2022. Uh yeah, Tori Horton. Tori Horton was wide receiver 10. Yeah. So um I it in my opinion, I, I'm probably uh, maybe I'll get burned by this, but I'm not ready to give up on them. And I think that they're somebody that I would reinvest in next year. And hope that there's a little bit of a bounce back, uh, that you could maybe get them for cheaper than what you were getting Clay Millen and some of those other guys. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they look like next year, because this year was a, a, a massive disappointment for that Colorado State offense. So for the CFF Awards article that John Lobb writes every year, he invited me back. So go read that article. A uh, bunch of uh, CFF experts uh, coming together, hand out postseason awards. Really good article. Uh, but I, I wrote about the wide receivers, and I talked about how one of my early picks for wide receiver one next year is potentially Torrey Horton at Colorado State. Because I kind of agree with you, Nate, that year two installing this system for Jay Norvell, I hope, is a much better deal. But even if it doesn't get much better, I would think that Torrey Horton would would still continue to eat over there. Again, they were offensive this year. Not offensive, but offensive this year in what they were able to do. And Torrey Horton still finishes the wide receiver 10, 15.75 fantasy points per game on the season. Which, by the way, I'm, I'm looking at this chart of wide receivers. There's a huge drop-off from like the top, like, three the top four or five wide receivers and then down not a great year for wide receivers but even still like Torrey Horton I think should still we should still expect him to do well I would again I'm hoping that Clay Millen takes a step forward or they just bring in somebody else uh, and try something new because they have to do better than what they did this year Mox what do you think about Colorado State you were shaking your head earlier when Nate says that he's not ready to give up on them you seem like you're ready to give up on them what do you think no, I was shaking positively. I I do feel like they they're a value going to be value next year. That doesn't draft. make any sense. How, how bad it was? What do you mean? You you don't shake your head positively. You nod positively, but you shake your uh, head. I, and... Well, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I was like, I was, I was not in a lot. I I, I, I saw a shake of the head. <laughs> well, if I gave the wrong impression to those on video, I apologize because I agree. Okay. I, I was a little flabbergasted. I I was ready for Mox to come in here and be like, Nah, they're going to be crap next year. No, you have to think about how much that program changed in the offseason. Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't just like him bringing a handful of guys over. It was him bringing like 10 guys. True. Bunch of transfers out. Zero continuity. A lot of these guys that he brought over were not players, like starters for this Nevada team. So it's a whole bunch of guys who had never started going to a new system, going to a new play. Like it was just 
we should have we should have pumped the brakes on this. Like hindsight hindsight's twenty twenty, but like we probably should have realized that it probably wasn't all going to come together year one. I do think it could, could come together year two though. Yeah, am, it was it was almost to the point of because that Steve Adazio system is so polar yes. opposite from mm-hmm. the from the air raid uh, the mummy air raid. It was almost like they were trying to. Um, make this transition from like a triple option offense into an air raid you know i mean it's just like it's that big of a change they were they were trying to make so blocking schemes everything like that they're having to reteach everything with these guys the only thing that kind of makes was, me a little oh, good good mox no just say it's crazy how different they they are the just, one, and the personnel is all different like it's just the one thing that makes me a little concerned is the fact that you saw guys like Dante Wright leave, which some definitely a lot of people out there thought that he could have a really good year in like in a true offensive system that wanted to pass the ball. He never he never even got on the field hardly. He got into the transfer portal very early in the offseason. And then even a guy who came over with Norvell and Melquan Stovall, who a lot of us expected to be that clear number two for them this year, he also entered the portal. So you're looking at a couple guys there that like kind of tell me that there is something a little bit more than meets the eye was going on here, if that makes any sense. You guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it just it's it was a dumpster fire of a season. And when that happens, uh, you, you tend to see a lot of guys jump ship. So it, fair enough. Yeah. He Norvell brought in his own guys, period. Uh, yeah. So I wasn't surprised Dante Wright moved on. Um Moquan Stovall was never really an impact player in Nevada either. Like he had some good games, but he wasn't an impact guy. He's like a short downfield. He's not jump off specialist. That's probably, um, but he like relied on that way more. Like he relied on not separating way more than a guy his size should. Mm-hmm. So like I think he had a lot of hype in spring, but I don't know if he was actually that good. He was he's like a really weird profile. So I I just wonder if it's like you just totally raced this year from the record. That's what I, that's basically what I'm going to do. Yep. They need better QB play. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Millen has to be better though. That that's true. Or you bring, or you bring in Brandon Armstrong. It would, yeah, it would definitely, Brandon Armstrong's not going to Colorado straight, but it definitely would not, it definitely would not surprise me if they, if they snag a guy out of the portal and say, Hey, Millen, we brought you over here to be the guy, but um, that didn't work out very well. So now you got to compete for it. So uh, that, that wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, wouldn't, Chan- it wouldn't shock me either. Come on down. Hey, there you go. There you go. All right, so those are our surprises. We can move on to just some overall lessons that we learned. Again, we're trying not to do... Uh, we kind of already did before about like what system surprised us, which ones disappointed us and everything. These next three that we're going to talk about are more of overall CFF strategy that we've learned this year, things that we kind of need to adjust, maybe based on... Uh, things shifting in the CFF landscape, things we tried this year didn't work out and everything. And I'll go ahead and start with mine here. And one of the bigger changes I would say to the CFF world, at least if you were playing on fan tracks, is was the introdu- introduction of the backup system for CFF. Again, we all know one of the worst parts about playing in CFF is dealing with the injury reports and people just not playing with no indication whatsoever. Before the backup system and everything, people had plenty of ways to get around this. I personally already had a backup system in a lot of my leagues. I just did it manually. Um, You got guys like Nate and Chris below me who just prefer best ball all around in terms of their league formats, and that's fine. 
Uh, I'm not going to hate on it. Uh, but now we do have a backup system within the Fantrax system. And, of course, bugs need to be worked out beginning of the year. There's some changes that I'm going to be advocating for in terms of this offseason, like the fact that we don't need to set our lineups on Tuesday uh, for the entire week. Just have the backup order be determined when the player plays, just like whether you can shift them into the lineup or not. Anyway, I'm going off a tangent. How to navigate this was also something I didn't really consider, and it was... Who do you actually put? Who do you list first as your backups? Because I kept trying to play the game on my bench of already who on my bench still has the bat the best matchups, and that continuously burned me throughout the entire offseason. Like I would have my back my first backup being like a guy who is going up against a weaker defense but isn't as good as maybe a stud I was sitting for that week who had a bad matchup. Going forward, I think if I'm going to be using this backup system. If I am sitting a stud for whatever reason, like I say it's Braylon out and he's going up against Iowa, and I think he's going to have a pretty rough week, I still need to list him as my number one backup option because, again, he's a stud. He is the kind of guy that can be matchup proof, even though I am a little concerned about what's coming up in that week. Another great example, championship week. I had Trey Palmer on my bench in both of my championship matchups when he went off for 38 points and in neither one did i have him listed as the number one option to be put in as a backup because again he's going up against iowa i think again i'm going to be changing my strategy moving forward nate chris either one of you guys have comments on this i know neither one of you really play in a ton of leagues that use the backup system but if you did what would be something you might uh consider with it strategy wise Moving my league to best ball. <laughs> I, I, so I don't like the backup system at all. Like it's very well documented. I just think it's like a cheap way to get out of it. Um, but I, I do think that there are issues um, that can present them. I think you could game the backup system is basically the bottom line. No, and like I, I, again, there there are ways, and that's why I say as a commissioner, you have to keep your eye on it for uh, yeah. eye out for that kind of stuff. Like, I think there are certainly ways to game it. And so if you want to be within the rules, I think that there are ways to get an advantage over your league mates. I think Just so. Like, I, I, I personally that's think my a, best answer for you. I, I, was, I personally think a lot of those go away if they ever move it to where your the backup order gets locked the moment that a player starts playing. Just like if whether or not you can shift them into your starting lineup or not. See, I... I agree and disagree. I just don't think there's a good solution in general uh, with this system. I think it's best ball or nothing, but I understand why people like it. So I'm not gonna not gonna hate on it more than I have to. But I do think that there are, are holes in it that I don't know if they could be fixed. But if my advice is if it's in it's if you can do it, game it, man. Like there are a lot of ways to do so, especially in the Mac in Mac contests. You can uh, you can definitely take advantage of. And I, and I will reiterate to commissioners, if you're going to use this, you have to be on the lookout for that kind of stuff. That is your job. Nate, do you have any thoughts on this? I know, again, you... you Make sure it's well-defined in your bylaws if you're going to police it. I agree. Nate, uh, again, you're, you're a best ball guy as well, but any, any thoughts you might have on this? Yeah, so, yeah, like you mentioned, I'm a best ball guy. I, I have a two-year-old. I don't like the idea of spending my Saturday mornings, um, or nor do I have the time to spend my Saturday mornings trying to figure out who's in, who's out, and all that. No, fair enough. Um, the the As far as the backup system, I haven't looked into it enough. 
my plan was to just kind of see how it plays out. Uh, use this as as like a, a dry rehearsal trial run here, year one. See what kind of bugs there are. Hopefully, Fantrax will fix them, and then maybe consider it uh, in year two. So I'll, I'll take a deeper look at it this off season and see if uh, if any of my leagues or if I want to play in any leagues that um, they implement that type of system. So uh, don't don't have a ton to to add on that right now. Yeah, no, fair enough. So. Chris, we'll move on to your biggest lesson learned from CFF 2022. And you really want to talk about some of these draft strategies that involve taking players from the same team here. So what are you thinking, Mox? Uh, so I did it a couple of times, and I know it's popular. as like A lot of people do this as well, and I was, I was doing it a moderate amount. And I've come to the conclusion that it is so low upside and negative EV that it doesn't make sense to do it moving forward. Just to clarify, Mox, is, what 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 strategy are we talking oh, about? Oh yeah, here? I should I should I should probably tell you what I think about this strategy. Um, taking two players at the same position on the same team to basically hedge if one guy gets doesn't start or it's a confusing situation. The reason that I, I am skeptical of this strategy works is because how much variance there is in college football, period. And that makes earlier, if you, I'm assuming you're doing this in like the first 15 rounds if the position is that valuable, right? So you are sacrificing a high-end producer potentially to cover the same position. It's why you don't draft handcuffs to your starting running back because it limits the upside over, over of your overall starting lineup. And I think that there are very few situations that actually need this to, like, I, I just can't think of a situation where, like, moving forward that I would actually in, invest in two players early. It, it, like, there are situations that are really good, but because of how much variance there is on a year-to-year -year basis, we do, also don't know, like, we can't be that confident in that situation. And so I think a lot of picks were wasted and burnt this year on investing situations that didn't quite come to fruition where your pick just could have been spent somewhere else and you could have had another starter in your lineup potentially. And that's, I, I think especially in college fantasy, this is true. So I've did, I'm just going to move away from the strategy in its entire entirety. And then it, I'll take shots in different leagues on different, uh, on the other player in this situation. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a couple of instances, but first of all, I kind of I kind of agree with you. Like the ones that come to my mind that just really didn't work out for a lot of people are the Northern Illinois running back situation. I know a lot of people were taking Whaley and Brown pretty early on there. Uh, I got uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you see I have the uh, two Alabama receivers up there because that was kind of the first room that I my mind went to in terms of like trying to draft multiple guys out of that room. Maybe not the best example because of how high Burton was going. But yeah, I pretty much agree overall with you that it, this isn't the way that you want to do it. Or if you're going to do this, take guys who are going like round 15, 20 plus. Don't be looking for, don't be trying to yeah. nail down a uh, a room early on. Unless like, again, I, I've been on the record before like in dynasty i am a big fan of trying to lock down entire cff rooms before so like i have taken like gyro brock and cartavius norton this year for iowa state that didn't really work out for me as well but i i took like tyler shuck and baron morton also didn't work out really well for me but also in another league that's I took the example that came to mind 
for me was um, uh, the Texas Tech Barrett QBs. Morton, Tyler Shepard, because then, yeah, the, then Donovan Smith was involved, and it wasn't as good of an offense as we thought. Like all of these levels of variance that are in college fantasy, anyway, make this extremely difficult to execute, especially when you're playing, you're drafting them in high leverage situations especially when you have 131 teams to pick from like you don't have to go yes. for these you don't have to go for the situation that is so muddy nate what do you think about all this yeah i mean i think this comes down to um you know what what are your thoughts what are your strategy when it comes to handcuffs um and and i still have always been wanting to take like a deep dive in how relevant handcuffs are in fantasy cff and um should should you or should you not be doing it and I, like I said, I'm I'm torn on it, and and a lot of and, and every situation is different, right? Um, a couple that came to mind where it actually did pay off to to play devil's advocate here. Obviously, the the Ohio State wide receiver room, yeah. Um, JSN was a total bust, but if you invested in a couple of the other ones, um, that paid off very well for you. Even even the Michigan running back room. Right. So you would have had to have like, let's say you you could have used like a fifth and a sixth round pick on Corum and Edwards. Yes, one of those is absolutely wasted. But if you could say, hey, one of these two guys is going to be a top five running back, you probably would do it again. But you also are, are left with some situations similar to the Northern Illinois running back room where you invest in both of them and and neither one of them pay up to yeah. what you were investing so yeah i just think every situation is different in and i'm i'm kind of where i'm leaning right now is i'm for handcuffs if it's if you're getting value late on both of them and the best yeah. example i could probably give here is a couple of best balls i did i took Chandler Morris and Max Duggan late in the drafts, you know, talking like rounds 20 to 25. And yeah, one of those was a wasted pick, but I'm okay with wasting a, a 20 round 20th round pick on Chandler Morris. If it means in the 23rd round, I got Max Duggan. I'll throw out Drake May and Jacoby Criswell was another sure. one that a lot of people were, again, I was a big Drake May fan the entire off season, but like, I understood like round 20 plus. Yeah. Take both of them. Why not? I don't know if I don't know if I was in any drafts where anybody even took Chris Well, but yeah, I mean the the value was was there late on on Drake May especially, but yeah, I I think it would be a really good uh, interesting debate and article to dive into some of this. Does it pay off? Does it not? But each situation is is so different, and um, you can always drop guys to to add waivers in in. CFF and they be fantasy relevant. Um, so it's it's kind of hard to say. Very, very true. I wonder, I wonder if I amended this idea to quarterback rooms because I think that's where the wasted value really comes from because you can only get one on the field at a time, right? I think Corum and Edwards is an interesting example because uh, both could be fantasy relevant if we assume like a Hassan Hall play Corum split. Right. Or yeah. like, I don't mind doing it probably at a skill position as much, depending on where you're investing and spending wide receiver one. Like Miles Price is going round three, and the arbitrage options were like were going round seventeen plus for the most yeah. part. I thought that was a good a good way to do it if you're going to try to hedge. But I think quarterbacks maybe is is the way that I would am amend this moving forward. They like don't try to lock up a quarterback room. Pick one especially if you're spending high draft capital, like top 15 rounds, do round 20, whatever, because we know systems are incredibly valuable. And I, I would argue, argue there. 
I would argue that if you're that, if you really just don't know that much about that quarterback room, and you're looking to spend high draft capital on just one of those guys, I would just avoid it. I would just wait. I get clearly like to get me, a sec- what, get it, a second guy. Get get the second guy, or just like yeah. don't don't be the guy who has to force to pay up compared to the other one. If you really think it's that much of like a 50-50 battle between them, just wait for the first guy. You can get burned by that sometimes because, again, Ontario Brown, Harrison Whaley, those guys both win the same round sometimes. And so if you're trying to get them back on the turn, then boom, they're both off the board. Well, that sucks. You missed out on it. But at least you didn't. You weren't the guy that had to pay up. So Yeah, and I, I don't mind investing in murky situations, but there has to be value to invest in said murky situation. Like you can't be taking... Uh... You can't be taking players probably in the top 10 rounds that are going to beat each other out for a yeah. single position battle. That's my thought. All righty. Nate, let's Sorry, talk... I spend so long on this no, one. No, no, this, this one, this was, this one I thought was very good. Um, Nate, not that Nate's not a good. Uh, Nate has a very good one here as well. Nate, uh, <laughs> your, your, your lesson here, uh, you said that patience is needed with freshmen, especially with dynasty and keeper cff leagues so this one stinks guys oh sorry i thought i was muted (laughs) guys guys that come to mind here for me uh two wide receivers that come to my mind uh talon cetron and andre green jr are those the kind of guys we're talking about here or there's somebody else you're looking at here nate no i'm talking about the polar opposite of that actually um i so my message here is don't be like nate and what i do literally every season is get impatient if uh, and this this is almost specifically to running backs, um, but I get impatient if I do not see my running backs, my freshman running backs produce in the first four to five weeks. You know, if, if I don't see Judkins or if I don't see a Jalen Ott or if I don't see a Richard Reese, then what I end up doing is usually let them go. And um, and, and and if we're talking deep, deep dynasty, that's that's I don't let them go. You you know that you're having to wait a year on some of these guys. Uh, but if you if you invest in a freshman late in your redraft or even a keeper league where you only keep you know a handful of players, I always make the mistake. Uh, I did this with Brees Hall, and I, I always make this mistake. And what I do this year, I made the same damn mistake again. I let Damian Martinez go. No. I let, I let Cartavius Norton go in a no! league. I let oh, no. Oh, no, I let Catron Allen, Allen go in a league. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I do. So don't be like me, um, have a little bit more patience, uh, whenever it comes to freshman running backs. And some of that's just luck, you know, you know, uh, Deshaun Finwick ended up being out and finally, and, and same with Trey Lowe. So we got to see Martinez, he get the whole run and it turns out, you know what? Hey, he's pretty good. Like the coach has talked about all off season. So, uh, but yeah, just, uh, you know, sometimes you gotta be a little patient with some of these guys. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I agree one hundred percent. I, I definitely, well, I, I, I don't say I, I didn't get burned in this league because I ended up winning it, but at the same time, like I gave up Damian Martinez in a league because I was just like, you know what, he, like, he's been struggling to kind of break away from that backfield. I think I'm gonna go ahead and trade him now, and get. I think I got DTR out of it, which very good return, but um, trade away Damian Martinez, and now I'm kind of kicking myself. I'm like, dang, like. He would have been a really good running back for me for the next couple of years, but like, um, it's tough because in CFF, like we've talked about, some of those waivers can be so good, even yep. five weeks into the season, that you're like, okay, am I going to continue to sit on this guy? Like you mentioned, Andre Green. Do you, you know, am I going to continue to sit on Andre Gain and Tyler Cetron or whatever? 
or am I going to go pick up a guy that can actually be a really productive player for me moving forward? You know, like an Antoine Green at yep. North Carolina that just shows up late. And um, you got to make those calls. And sometimes uh, you get impatient and you make the wrong calls. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely agree. Again, when it comes to Dynasty, I would try to honestly trade them away before I would try to just straight up drop them. Now, again, obviously, sure. t- time is of the essence. You have waivers and everything. You got to make decisions on who you're keeping in your lineup, who you're not. But I, I've gotten more, I've gotten better return out of that. I would say, Mox. Any thoughts on this? Um, I agree, Nate. That you should be more patient. <laughs> I'm gonna. I told myself two years ago, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be more patient. And then I told myself last year, I'm gonna be more patient. And then, sure enough, here we are. In a dynasty league, especially if you spend a draft pick on the first couple of rounds in like your your um what are they called supplemental drafts mm-hmm. you should at least hold on to that person at least until the end of the year you should either be trading them or you should be holding on to them i again because like nate said with especially deeper dynasty leagues you know you're holding on to these guys for at least a year sometimes yeah i think in a deeper dynasty this the impatience would be, hey, you trade off an asset too early. Mm-hmm. Um, and in in my case, I play on my favorite. My favorite setup is a hybrid dynasty, which is a keeper league where you keep four or five players uh, at the end of the year instead of all of them. And um, that's where I tend to get impatient. And I'm like, okay, this guy, there's no way D- Damian Martinez is going to be one of my five keepers next mm-hmm. year. He hasn't done crap all season. And then I, I, I here you uh, are. Yeah. <laughs> all righty again i think those are pretty three pretty good lessons for us to learn and everything like that and that that's just us looking at it from a bird's eye view just looking down at the sport as a whole one last way i think is a good way to kind of look back on the season and kind of figure out where we went wrong where we didn't is to compare adp to where people finished in the year that comment all right, so first we got quarterbacks here, and if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see right down there below, there are two tables. The one on the left lists the top 12 quarterbacks in terms of their preseason ADP, and then the one on the right lists the quarterbacks who finish as the top 12 at their position. And so we're not going to run through this. I'm not going to read this table off to you guys and everything that would be boring, uh, Mox and Nate, we're just going to kind of pick out some of the guys here that we think either what or what, what can we kind of learn from it? What can we kind of apply going forward? And the first one I'll talk about here is the quarterback in the top 12 of ADP that clearly had the biggest drop off in terms of where they were being taken compared to where they finished on the year. And that is quarterback out of Texas, Quinn Ewers, drafted as QB8, finished as a QB. 108 is there something to be learned here in terms of we thought this was everything was coming together for quinn ewers here he was looking really good at least to start the season but like he had the starkesian offense around him he had guys to throw to and xavier worthy even jordan whittington uh jatavian sanders was a good option and he had Bijan robinson to throw to out of the backfield but then he really just kind of fell off as the year went along. Again, you can say he was getting banged up and everything like that. But again, out of all these quarterbacks, he definitely seemed like the one out of the top 12 with probably the most projection, maybe outside of Cameron Ward. Cameron Ward, I'd say, had probably had more projection than him. But 
what can we learn about projecting these guys going forward? Uh, Nate, we'll go with you first. I assume is this ADP? Uh, not sorry, not ADP, but is this production ranking uh, on total or per game? Total, total. Okay, so I'm. Um, with yours, he did miss a couple games, so part of that factors in. But by no means was he good. So, I mean, we're still looking at a guy that wasn't even a top 50 to 75 uh, quarterback in terms of points per game. Um, I, I mean, I think the big takeaway with him is, is it doesn't matter how good your arm is. If you are starting for the first time in a, in a P5 program, there's there is some risk you are taking if you take a guy that has never started a game and you're taking him in those first five rounds, um, you could get stuck with a guy that ends up 108th in, in fantasy points per game. I mean, that's just uh, some of the risk you are you are inheriting whenever you invest in in that kind of guy. That that uh, a player like Will Rogers, who's done it for a couple of years and is in that type of system, you you know that his floor just simply isn't as low as somebody like Quinn Ewers. Yeah, I agree. Mox, what are your takeaways from Quinn Ewers being the probably the worst? I would say he was the worst value in C in preseason CFF on the year for quarterbacks. Yeah, and I actually drafted a lot of them. <laughs> um, I I think Nate's argument is pretty good, right? This is a guy who hadn't played football for two years. He sat at Ohio State last year, and he declared early from Texas. Uh, maybe a year and a half is is more accurate. But he hadn't played football in a long time. It's an adjustment. Like, it just is. We saw him come out fire. Uh, and he certainly took a step back when I think defenses were able to key in on some of his errors. I do think he was injured, for what it's worth. True. Yeah. Um, I, th I think there was an injury affecting him that was a bigger deal than maybe people thought with his hand or his thumb. But uh, he still wasn't good. And I will not take the same leap of faith I, I did last time. Probably. Like, there's a lot of risk involved. The upside was really high. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah, the upside was obviously high, but I didn't think that it... I didn't think it'd go this bad. Um, yeah. But yeah. I didn't weight the risk enough. Like, the upside was quarterback... Well, the SF Pro was probably never quarterback one. It was probably, like, quarterback five. So I was, like, drafting yeah. as quarterback eight with a substantial amount of risk. Wait, to, so. be, to be fair, though, you're also looking at it like, again, Mox, I know you played in a lot of C2C leagues. I'm not going to blame you for drafting him highly in those leagues because, again, like, regardless. Well, I mean, I'm talking about, like, all my best balls, I drafted him fourth and fifth round. Okay, like, I okay. Was, I was way ahead of consensus on him. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Another guy. I, oh, go ahead, Nate. I was just going to say maybe the lesson here is is that, one, he's not in a true, like, air raid system. He provides true. zero rushing upside and if we look at the top 12 as far as like after the season the rankings dual every threats. single every single one of them are either dual threats or they're austin reed who's going to throw the ball <laughs> 60 times a game or they're michael Penix who's going to throw the ball 60 times a game that's i mean that's where if you're on drafting one of those two you know you should know that your floor could actually be pretty low yeah i you know what nate i think that sums it up perfectly another guy i want to throw out here before the season austin reed again that kind of came late western kentucky makes sense why he was a value right there at the end and everything people uh, technically a steal according to my table here michael Penix, kale in the board system we knew that that could work out riley leonard quarterback out of duke where the hell did this come from again we knew there was some dual threat ability there but he finishes as qb9 on the year on nobody's radar pretty much to start the season 
What do you guys think? Mox, we'll go with you first here. What do you think about Riley Leonard? And do we think this is something that we can project moving forward into next year? I know Chris K has already talked about how he's thought about top quarterbacks for next year, and he didn't have Riley Leonard come off of his tongue immediately as a top CFF quarterback for next year. Do we think this continues moving forward, or do we think this is his ceiling and he can only go down from here? Uh, he finished quarterback nine. I don't know if he's going to finish top 12 quarterback next year, and I'm not sure if he will ever again. But that a lot of that is, like, luck-based. Like, do play some really funky games this year, especially against, like, Miami, where, like, short fields, and he it's just really funky season for them. As long as Kevin Johns is the offensive coordinator there, though, I am in on this Duke offense, at least for the quarterback perspective. He was the offense coordinator at Memphis for the last handful of years when their offense was, like, Ooh, producing nice. at a pretty high rate. He was that offense coordinator at Texas Tech before that. So like, this is this is a guy who's has experience producing pretty high-quality offenses. So I like Riley Leonard. I don't know that I'm going to draft him as a top-12 quarterback, but I will certainly be drafting him probably as a top-24 quarterback. Nate, what are your thoughts on Riley Leonard? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of things. Um, he's a he's just a better quarterback than than what I had thought of him as prior to this season. And I think that offensive coordinator, like like Mox has mentioned, um, I think he did a fantastic job there. Um, could have easily been the guy we listed on our biggest surprises. Oh yeah, uh, is is that Duke offense? So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th I think people are going to be more willing to invest in Duke, obviously, after how things went this year. So it's all going to come down to value. But uh, I, I'm, I'm more intrigued by by that system and Riley Leonard uh, now than I was uh, a couple of months ago. That's that's for sure. Absolutely. Eight and four Duke. Eight Gosh. and four Duke. Dude, Mike Elko, coach season. of the year right there. So good. Um, Certainly in contention. Before we move on from quarterbacks here, I'll ask each of you both just point out one player on this table here that you just want to give a 30 second talk about like why you think that their season was so important, whether it's somebody who disappointed or somebody who outperformed expectations here. I can give you a second unless I, Nate, you got one. I'll, I'll yeah, I got one. I'll give Mox a, a chance here. Um, this isn't going to come as a surprise to anybody. This is my one chance to uh, to beat on the Virginia system again. You, gave I was, I, I knew as soon as I said this, I'm like, Nate's going to go after Armstrong. If you invested in Brennan Armstrong, you did not listen to a word that that myself or or Jared too. What we were saying in this in this offseason it is a bad, bad offensive system they ruined dju they've ruined brennan armstrong whoever they get out of the transfer portal do not invest in them at quarterback next year because they're going to ruin him too okay so just don't do it that's the thing that stands out to me i'm just waiting on the receivers to enter the portal along with armstrong <laughs> mox one guy real quick that you want to highlight here from this table mine would have been armstrong too uh, just horrible, horrible <laughs> evaluation of the system. Uh, but Cameron Ward, uh, my two most drafted quarterbacks in CFF and CFF best balls, Queen Eris, Cameron Ward. Ooh. Uh, don't assume that problems that were problems at the FCS level, like deep ball accuracy, will suddenly be fixed when you move up to the Power 5 level. <laughs> that was quite the oversight on, on my part. He's a terrible <laughs> deep ball passer at Incarnate Ward and continue to be so at Washington State. So 
again, make sure that you are properly evaluating risk based on where you draft these players and in accordance with their upside. But man, he looks cool throwing it with all those different arm angles, doesn't he? Oh yeah. Yeah, no, he definitely <laughs> definitely does. Definitely does. Uh I'll just yeah, say a quick, I'll quick I'll say my quick shout out to Bo Nix, QB one on the season. Absolutely incredible resurgence for him. Good luck to him wherever he goes next. Uh again, we're not gonna go through the whole table. If you want to see the table, go watch the YouTube product. It's been up here pretty much the entire time we've been talking quarterbacks. But now we're going to go on to running backs here. Kind of a very similar thing. One thing I wanted to point out, we talked about handcuffing earlier. And man, we, again, Rasheen Ali there, obviously out beginning of the season, doesn't come back until like the 12th game, basically, for March. I think 11th game, actually. But... His replacement in Kalen LeBourne right there, RB11. So we got that one right. Outside of that, probably the two biggest misses are Travion Henderson, Lou Nichols, and Tavian Thomas. Pretty much all right there, very similar to one another. What do you guys think about those three in terms of how far we kind of missed on them? Is there anything that we can take away from that? Or do you think it was a little bit of rotten luck for the industry? In- injuries played a huge part in pretty much all of those outcomes, um, except Thomas, who like was inexplicably benched halfway through the year. But I I was riding the Tavian Thomas as a bus train anyway, uh, mostly because he just outperformed his touchdown expectation by substan- like ten touchdowns last year. Uh, that he I don't think there was a path where he could live up. But it wasn't because I thought that he was going to get in the doghouse for like three games. That it was just we it, a lot of this felt weird more than anything. Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't know Rashina Lee was going to sit out. That came out, like, a week or two before the season. We did know that it was going to be Kalan LeBorn. It ended up being so. But, I mean, I didn't... Lou Nichols also injured. Like, I I feel like we just had a lot of bad luck, to, to, be, well, to be totally honest. Lou Nichols, I think we kind of underestimated the impact that a new offensive coordinator would have there at Central Michigan. We knew coming And they lost in, two offensive linemen, yeah. yeah and we we knew coming in that that offensive coordinator at the stop he had previously been at did not have a workhorse running back. And we all kind of assumed like, oh, but it's Lou Nichols. Like, of course they're going to hand him the bo- hand him the rock like 30 times a game still. Well... They went and found themselves some other running backs on that roster that they felt comfortable handing the ball off to. And really, we never really saw Nichols have that true workhorse running back ability that he had the previous year. Nate, what are your thoughts on those three guys, Henderson, Nichols, and Thomas? Yeah, I mean, I think all three of them are are, are unique in a sense. Um, I, I didn't invest in Henderson or Nichols at all. Um, Thomas, I did a little bit. His, like I said, his is his is a lot of off the field um, issues, so it's kind of unique. Um, Lou Nichols just wasn't very good, um, and he was a little banged up. But he just wasn't good. Henderson was banged up, but I mean, it's. It, I, I think we learned a valuable lesson with Ohio State as a whole this year, and that man, if you if you invest in them, you are also taking a risk that that they just are so so far ahead of their of their competition in the regular season that you you could just have guys just sitting out randomly uh, throughout throughout the season. So that's it's become a little bit of a risky play to invest in in Ohio State as a whole. I know a lot of people are going to look to take him early in drafts next year. And I, I'm going to be kind of concerned uh, by it. They're just, they're so deep at every position that they can just sit guys and, and not worry about it and still smash Indiana by 45 points. 
Yeah, and definitely something to consider for Marvin Harrison Jr. next year because he's probably going to be the wide receiver one off of most people's boards. Sure. I would say. Moving over to the other side of the board here, again, we were talking about some guy, like guys who who did finish top 12 this year, how they how they um, compared to the preseason. We talked about already, Kalen LeBourne, he comes in for Rasheen Ali, uh, picks up right where he left off. Quinchon Judkins, we already talked about him earlier. There's a trio of guys here that were being taken really late in drafts, like anywhere from like pretty much right next to each other, running back 69, 70, and 72 here. That would be Xavier Valade, Carson Steele, and Israel Abanaconda. What do we learn about those three guys? Is there a theme of, among those guys that we like? Clearly, they were on our radar already for the most part, but for some reason, we felt like there was reason to hold off on them until late. Izzy, of course, again, we almost we that one got saved by the fact that Rodney Hammond went down early because he looked like he was going to be the running back one for Pittsburgh, but and then Izzy took over from there. But Carson Steele and Valade, like in hindsight, it feels like we should have been on these guys a little bit more. Nate, what do you think about those three guys? Uh, three good examples of trust the system. And when it comes to running backs, uh, volume is what's key. And we we knew with the uh, with the coaching change with Frank Signetti uh, coming over to Pittsburgh that he loved to feed one running back a lot of carries like he did at uh, his previous time at Pittsburgh, as well as his time at Boston College. Same thing with Carson Steele. Ball State was going to feed him. We knew that. Xavier Valade, um, Arizona State, loves to run the heck out of the football. And um, so, yeah, just trust trust that the volume will be there. Um, I, You know, Valade is not somebody I invested in, and I, I wish I would have now. So, Yeah, I, tra- I traded for him in quite a few leagues. Mox, what do you think about these three guys? Uh, maybe Carson Steele was obvious in hindsight. Like, yeah. John Paddock is clearly not the quarterback that you want running this offense. So, him seeing a substantially larger workload as a second-year player too. Like, we probably should have should have known yeah. that. Um, elevating Daniel Nagata over Xavier Valade, which I did personally. I did too. Was it was clear, bad. Clearly a mistake. Um, and then Izzy, I think you're right. He got like it would have been a bigger split with Hammond if Hammond had been healthy. Uh, for the McCart. but honestly, I didn't feel like running back was a position that totally missed real bad this year. No, we did very well for the like most part. Pretty good compared to you know mm-hmm. most, most other positions. Yeah, and I think that's actually a great segue to go ahead and get us into the wide receivers because this <laughs> this is where things got a little ugly for us in terms of it. Uh, injury, I think, played a huge part for wide receivers this year. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, Miles Price on and off the field. Cedric Tillman out for a good chunk of the year. And um, those are kind of the main ones right there. Injury a big part for those guys. But then we also had some straight up misses, I would say. And one I would say I'm happy that I didn't invest in was Keishon Butte. But I would be lying if I didn't say that I had all the Miles Price in the world. And so two guys right there that I think straight up missed. So let's talk about them first. Because we can't really super blame injury for Miles Price or Keishon Butte. Mox, what did we learn from those guys in terms of how to better evaluate them moving forward? Better evaluate evaluating the wide receiver position moving forward. Um, when a guy has a mysterious ankle injury, doesn't talk to his coach, hates his coach, <laughs> should downgrade him a little bit further than 
we did. I remember we were on our wide receiver show, or and then we did one with John Lobb, maybe the same day actually, and we were talking about it. And I was like, I moved Butte outside my top thirty. I was mm-hmm. like, this is like that was something I got right of just lit- <laughs> reading what's happening in front of me, being like, okay, this dude has issues. Um, and I, a lot of that I think is off the field and potentially injury, but we don't know what the injury was. Um, Jermaine Burton stinks. Like I'm not even sure he's good at football. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Imagine, like, how low he, imagine how low he would have been if he didn't actually have a decent second half of the season or at least decent last four weeks of the season. Oh, right? I know. Like, uh, this dude's a really good athlete who I don't think could play football. Freakish. He only has like a well. I don't remember what he did last three games, so no. he may have surpassed this. But prior to week like ten of this year, he had one 100 yard game in his entire career as a wide receiver. So like, mm-hmm. this is not a player who we probably should have been as high on. It made sense giving the Jamison Williams corollary, but it was kind of obvious Saban didn't like his wide receivers, and yeah. he made a point of that too. He like said it a bunch of times, and maybe we just weren't willing to listen there but miles price though i don't know what the heck happened there he even when he was on the field he wasn't being featured nate you have any insight on miles price that you kind of figured out um combination of things he was dinged up early in the season so uh, i mean he missed a little bit of time um and that's a that's a program that had a lot of changes happening at quarterback and i think that that offense was humming probably at their highest point whenever baron morton was in there and uh the slot position was being used quite a bit at that time between Mm -hmm. price and xavier white and i think that uh xavier white proved that he was good enough to be on the field and get some of those targets uh while price was down and um you know it just never allowed price to really take off as the target hog that we thought maybe he would be at the beginning of the year but i I think it's safe to say also he's probably not as good as what we had hoped and and what that that staff had kind of built him up as in the in the uh uh, fall camps yeah no absolutely going over to the wider going over to the wide receivers uh in terms of the uh, guys who did do well this season and who outperformed expectations greatly. Charlie Jones, we were all kicking ourselves pretty much the first two weeks of like, we should have picked up on the fact that he and Aiden O'Connell were childhood friends. That was available information. That probably would have been a good indicator that he probably was the guy. There was hype around him going into the season. That that one should have been on our radars a little bit more. Jalen Hyatt, I'm not going to kill us too much for that one because again, Cedric Tillman was all of our guys. He gets hurt. Jalen Hyatt steps right in. It's the same thing as Rasheen Ali and Kalen LeBourne. What are you going to do when one guy's not playing and then somebody else steps up? The one that I am still trying to wrap my head around is Keelan Stokes at Tulsa. Had a really, really rough year in 2021. Uh, I know a lot of people were drafting him really high that year. Disappointed overall. And then now he comes back with a vengeance. He was drafted as a wide receiver 117 and finishes as a wide receiver eight. Nate, what do you think about Keelan Stokes and what do you think we missed there? I think it's kind of similar to Izzy Abanaconda in that um, we were maybe just a year too early. and But the talent is there and, and it's a decent system. Um, and they... 
found themselves trailing a lot of games this year and their, their defense wasn't quite as good. So they had to change the game script a little bit, but um, I mean, obviously impressive performance with him kind of splitting, being that productive through two quarterbacks throughout the season, you know, as, uh, uh, as they dealt with some injuries at the quarterback position late in the season. So yeah, I mean, that, that came out of nowhere and and he was crazy impressive this year. Mox, what are your thoughts on Mr. Stokes? Yeah, like Nate said, we're a little early on him. But we probably should have kept a little bit of the faith. He was hurt like all of last year, pretty much. It wasn't mm-hmm. one injury, it was another. Um, I don't remember what his first injury was, but I remember like maybe he tore his quad at some point. It was something like it, it was a lower leg injury with like a legitimate uh, muscle tear. And so he just like couldn't stay healthy last season. And even when he was playing, he's banged up. We probably should not have faded him as hard as we did, especially because we knew the offense was going to be like extremely pass heavy. Mm-hmm. And we knew what Philip Montgomery or Philip Montgomery was about. It just and we know what Brin's sanity is. Yep. So that was a that was probably just an oversight. Because yeah. I I mean I didn't I don't even think I ranked him I either. Like I don't I don't know if either y'all two did but i don't remember ranking him and if i did it was incredibly low i would say mine, mine was not high with stokes yeah. if i had to go back and look um before we move on from wide receivers here uh nate pick one guy out of the table that you want to highlight that we haven't talked about yet forgot to do this with um, running backs so sorry running back fans yeah yeah no that's that's all good um let's take a look at here let's talk about let's talk about xavier worthy for a second mm-hmm this guy was terrible this year. <laughs> he was terrible. And I get it that, that he had a quarterback that had difficulties um, being able to uh, hit him downfield. Um, but this is this is without Isaiah Nayor, right? This is without somebody stealing yep. targets for him. He, he got targets. But my God, he, he was a, unable to do anything with them. Maybe that was a, a product of the quarterback play. That dude drops a lot of balls. He gives up on a lot of deep balls. Um, rumors are now that he is not going to transfer to USC. Like a lot of people thought that Texas has Texas has reeled him back in. I don't think that's good. I think he's somebody that could probably use, uh, a change of scenery, change of scenery, scenery and that type of thing. But man, he was surprisingly bad this year. Uh, maybe not too much of a hot take, I guess, given what we know now and everything, but I wouldn't have been surprised had Isaiah Nayor stayed healthy that Nayor probably outproduces Worthy this year. That's possible. Yeah, that's very possible. I'm, I'm curious to see how well he plays next year. He's a He is a deep ball, go get it down the sidelines type of player. And um, so far, Quinn Ewers has not shown the ability to uh, maximize that type of talent. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out next year. Yeah. I'll tell you what I'm doing next year. I'm probably going to pick, be picking up Nayor in, in later in drafts if he comes back for another year. So, Mox, what's one guy you want to highlight here before we move on from wide receivers? I'm going to give you a two-for-one special, and that is the Ohio State wide receivers. We were right to draft two in the top ten. Yeah. We just had JSN get injured, and I think that is a vibe moving forward. I think that you can legitimately make the argument that every single year you should be drafting Ohio State wide receiver in the top ten. Marvin Harrison, wide receiver five. Um, Emeka Egbuka. Wide receiver seven. Like that that's just something I'll tuck away. And if one of the the second guy next year who I mean I'm it's gonna be 
Ibuka or Harrison. I mean, they're both going to be wide receiver ones, but whoever goes second is the person that I'm going to be drafting probably. Like, I imagine it'll probably be Ibuka. Yeah, the upside shows there. I think Ibuka could outproduce him too, just based on the role he has. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Harrison is a little bit more difficult to replicate, but still both are going to be wide receiver ones. So just something that I'm going to be doing. I'm, I will draft both as top 10 guys probably next year. So yeah. we did this year. No reason to change it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Ibuka definitely got buoyed a little bit by a really strong start to the season. Like he had three top 12 performances in the first half, and then his best performance was wide receiver 28 in the final week of the season. So he faded a little bit down the stretch. But even so, like I fully expect him to be awesome next year as well. Um, but also, like Nate said, again, Ohio State a little bit worrying now that we see how willing they are to just sit players for a long period of time because they know that their actual goals for the season are down the line. We're not going to talk tight ends here tonight because, again, we're going long already, and we are pretty much right at the end of our show. So really appreciate all of you guys tuning in here. Uh, again, we'll, I know Chris is sad over there. I can see him. He's sad we don't get to talk about tight ends. Um, I wasn't going to say anything, but now that you met, brought it up, it's tight end erasure. So tight, tight end erasure. We'll have plenty of time in the offseason to discuss all the tight ends, including Mr. Morlock, Chris's new favorite tight end out there. Nate, really appreciate you coming on. Chris, you've been awesome. You guys have been awesome co-hosts throughout the entire season. I really cannot appreciate you guys enough. All of you listening out there, we're going to keep it going here. Uh, at least for the next probably two weeks, we'll continue discussing coaching changes. Transfer portal stuff's definitely about to heat up here. But then... Uh, I am going out of the country for a couple of weeks, so won't be producing CTN during that time as much as I would love to just pick up my computer and and desk and bring everything with me, but I got a vacation to have. So again, you guys have been awesome. Nate, Chris, you guys got anything you guys are working on before we get out of here that you want to promote? I do not. I'm taking a, I'm taking a break from things for a little bit here. Just yes, to sir. Re- hey, the I get it, man. I get it. Mox? Uh, yeah, I've already been dropping some bowl line, uh, bowl lines that I like in our, our C2C, um, discord. If you're now an NAL member, I already, these have already moved San Diego state, Clemson, Tulane, a lot of value at the open bowl season. I'll just be doing bowl content, betting content for the rest of the year. So hit me up if you, uh, you want to get the odds. Hit them up if you want to win money. Again, you guys have been awesome and really can't wait to have you guys back on the show and let's get it started in the off season. So really appreciate all of you guys listening and let's let's get ready for 2023. It's it we hit the ground running. There is no off season in college football. There's always news to be had. So appreciate all of y'all and y'all have a wonderful and blessed day. See y'all.